Our second scripture reading is from Galatians 3, verses 23 to 29. Now before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're about to mark on a three-week gallop through Galatians. So if you want to do some early summer Bible reading in the next few weeks, today Galatians 3, next week Galatians 5, and then two weeks from now Galatians 6. So if you're wondering where you might want to read in your Bible over the next few weeks, there's a cue, galloping through Galatians. And we always remind you that whenever we get into these epistles part of the Bible, these are letters written to the church. Letters written 2,000 years ago, but letters that when we take it in the right context, remembering the lay of the land that these first hearers were hearing these letters, we also learn with discernment and in the community of faith how to apply these letters in our lives as a local church. So, a few, uh, the five W's, who, what, when, where, and why of Galatians. Who are the Galatians? Uh, Probably... um, non-Jewish Gentile believers in what would now be modern-day Turkey. And so these people probably descended from the Gauls and the Celts and were probably an earthy, tribal people who were very much in harmony with the land and creation. What? What is up? The church in Galatia was one of Paul's earliest churches. And so probably a church that he had very much fondness in his heart for. They came to hear his message very early on and um, uh, just sincerely and lovingly embraced this message of forgiveness and reconciliation and hope. When? This church was probably planted in the mid-40s CE. Uh, this, it's interesting, this um, well-educated Jewish believer, Paul, ex-Pharisee, meets these folksy, um, creation-loving people who accept the good news of Jesus. And so um, in late 40 CE, he leaves them in the hands of good mentors um, because he wants this church to grow and be well. But but, uh, when, when he writes this letter, it's probably eight or ten years later in about 55 CE. So who, what, when... Where, where is Paul? At this point in 55 CE, he's probably gone hundreds of kilometers westward, um, planting a church in Ephesus or Smyrna. So he has to write a letter because he can't just go back and, and work with the Galatians again. And lastly, why? 
Why write this letter, Paul? It's because this Jesus-loving, non-Jewish, vibrant example of how the good news of Jesus is supposed to go worldwide have been sidetracked. The spirit has been quenched in this congregation because of what we might call rules and regulation police from headquarters in Jerusalem. So they've come and they've started quenching the spirit in Galatia and bringing this kind of gatekeeper's mentality to the church. So we enter the world of what's probably a really drama-filled letter of Paul's. He's passionate, he's mad, his blood boils hot because of what is being undone by the letter of law where the spirit was doing such a great work. And so pause to imagine, have you ever been on the receiving end of a scathing letter or email? Have you? Probably, And, and maybe rightly so or wrongly so, but in this context, Paul feels like he's got a pretty good leg to stand on for this letter. He tries to start off with some warmth and grace and peace to you. But then he quickly uh, ramps it up. He says, I'm astonished at you. I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you in grace. You've turned to a different gospel. A gospel of works and performance versus gift and grace. Paul writes, am I trying to please people? No. I want you to know the gospel that was proclaimed to me was not a rules and regulations gospel. It was received through a revelation from Jesus Christ. And in the early parts of this letter, Paul reminds the the Galatians that he too once tried this rules and regulations faith. He, He was such a rules and regulations Jew that he was killing Christians. But God, by God's grace, was pleased to reveal Jesus. And it changed his life forever. He goes on and he talks about Um, In the early part of this letter in chapter 2, if if you read that section, um, he talks about how he interacted with Peter, who was that inner circle, first disciple of Jesus, who had kind of been swept up by the Spirit and was preaching this good news to all, whether they were Jew or Gentile. But he too had come under the rules and regulation police and had started reinforcing rules from the Jewish culture upon these new non-Jewish Christians. And so Paul says, I took Peter aside. When I saw that Peter was not acting consistently with the truth of the gospel, I told him, if you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not a Jew, then how can you compel Gentiles to live like Jews? Arg! In the light of Jesus' resurrection and presence by the Holy Spirit, Paul says, I die to rules and regulations so that I might live to God. And then that famous verse that maybe is on a fridge magnet at your house or on a poster on your wall from your 90s Christian days, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer... Doesn't anyone have a fridge magnet of this? I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Hmm. 
Hmm. Okay, anyways. Uh, he goes on to say, I do not nullify the grace of God. Maybe that's not as popular a verse, but... Um, and then Paul keeps on getting compassionate and, and kind of upset with the Galatians. Uh, and, and, in, and we know that in, this, in Paul's time, this letter would just have flowed and not have chapter and verse stops, right? But for our sake, in chapter 3, Paul kind of mounts up another wave of passion and fury. He says, you foolish Galatians, you've been duped. You started with the Spirit now you're settling in for a faith that's dependent on works and right behavior? And then the heart of today's passage, as Mark has already read for us. You Galatians have gone so far as to even establish a ranking system in your church. You've built this hierarchy. Jewish Christians are better than non-Jewish Christians. Free people are better than slaves. Men are better than... Women? Arg! You actually think that Jesus came and died and rose again for a system of hierarchy? And before we get too mad at this 50s CE church, let's look at ourselves. The church in Canada or the church in North America. Where are we fighting fights over hierarchy with this who's better than who version of Christianity? Perhaps you see it around you. Where are we fighting those fights? There's a few places that I was thinking of. Um, I'm baffled in our denomination recently because we've kind of had to kind of regroup and say, hey everybody, CBWC people and churches are egalitarian. That means that we believe that women and men are equally gifted by the Spirit for works in the church, at home, in society. Egalitarian. That means equal in Christ. That's why I can't play the Ephesians 5 card with Sandy and say, please, Sandy, submit to my headship and leadership. I wish, Lord, I would. No. No, we're egalitarian. But, and it's interesting, in our denomination lately, we've kind of had to regroup and write position papers for our churches to remind them that we are egalitarian. We believe that men and women are equally gifted for service and ministry in church, home, and society. Other fights or, or, or places where we're building hierarchy. Um, I'm weary of reading about Christians who are compelled to say that gay Christians are lesser than straight Christians. If you've been reading the news in the past week, the Southern Baptist Church at their annual general meeting kind of retrenched themselves and came up with this resolution that said that the term gay Christian is going to be a phrase that Southern Baptists will refrain from because it affirms sinful desires. I'm uneasy with hearing about Christians who believe that if we take seriously the resolutions of the TRC, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, that it will somehow compromise our faith as we try to share our faith or 
live our faith out alongside our Aboriginal neighbors. So we too have come up with these differentiators, these hierarchies in our churches. And I believe Paul would passionately and furiously declare to us, there's no longer male or female, straight or LGBTQ, colonizer or aboriginal, for all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is what I'd like to call distinction-free Christianity. And for 2,000 years, Paul's letter has been telling us to move beyond this religion and rules approach to gatekeeping and move towards a religion and faith in Christ and the faith of Christ. Paul exhorts us to clothe ourselves with Christ. What does that mean? To put on the garments of Christ. We, we, we talk of that and sometimes we even sing of that, being clothed in Christ. And in the next two weeks as we walk through Galatians 5 and 6, we'll, we'll talk more of what, what that looks like, that transformation of a people who are clothed in Christ. But today, suffice it to say that we, it means we're all children of God. It means that through our baptism or when the Spirit washes and waves upon us week after week or Sunday after Sunday because of the Spirit, we are and are being transformed from death to new life, clothed with Christ. Um, We often see it best in baptism, and Laura Blanchette was baptized a couple of weeks ago. And when we're in the baptistry, we're in the waters of death, so to speak, and we plunge ourselves into those waters of death, and then we come up new in Christ, and in a way are putting on the clothing of Christ, his righteousness, his faith, his posture and perspective of grace and forgiveness and reconciliation so that we can go into the world. And we can't get baptized every Sunday literally in the water, but because of the Spirit, because of God's forgiveness and grace waving upon us, we can leave from this place and go forth anew as a people of mercy and grace and reconciliation. Let's not go back to ways of hierarchy, distinction, and divisions. A people who are clothed in Christ do not live that way. In Eugene Peterson's translation of Galatians 3, he quotes Paul as saying, you're going to continue this craziness? Only crazy people would think they could complete by their own efforts what was begun by God. So maybe one of the main messages of today is, sisters and brothers, let us not be crazy. One uh, phrase, a paragraph that I've quoted from Philip Yancey's book, um, Vanishing Grace, is, is a good one to repeat again today. This is how we can be one. This is how we can be clothed in Christ. Uh, Philip uh, got this from a church in Denver. And they, their ethos statement is this. Married, divorced, and single here, it's one family that mingles here. Conservative and liberal here, we've all got to give a little here. Big and small here, there's room for us all here. Doubt and believe here, we can all receive here. 
LGBTQ and straight here, there's no hate here. Woman and man here, everyone can hear. Whatever your race here, for all of us, grace here. In imitation of the ridiculous love Almighty God has for each of us and all of us, let us live and love without labels. That's the kind of Christianity that I want to live. And I suspect as I look at your faces this morning, that's why you're here, because you believe that this is a community of faith that, that tries to preach and live and proclaim alongside Paul that all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And so my closing refrains of the day would be, let us not be crazy. Let us be new creations, clothed with Christ. And let us live and love without labels.